Welcome to the So Powerful Podcast. This is your host, Jan Cancilla. You know the sound of my sewing machine means it's time for another episode. So let's get started. Welcome to the So Powerful Podcast. Today we are speaking with Mary Anchauste, and you're wondering how I'm able to pronounce her name when no one else seems to be able to do that. And that's because Mary was kind enough to give me the phonetic spelling. So let's all say it together. In Chow Stay. It's easy. Just ignore all those letters in there. In Chow Stay. Mary and Chow Stay. Welcome, Mary. How are you today? Doing great. Happy to be here. So I can see in the background that you're not in a sewing studio. Where are you? I am here at my office. It is a Sunday, so it's quiet here, but you see in the background, we have a very interesting office space that used to be a Bally's Fitness Center that we reclaimed. And you can see our workstations behind us. So what I do during the day, I work as an architect. You work as an architect and I see on your shirt, it says CSO. What does that stand for? CSO, it was Cooler Schubert Oles were the founding architects that started the firm more than 50 years ago. So we, we are a third generation firm, 85 people located in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we do commercial work. So not like Sleepless in Seattle, <laughs> we are working on uh, serious fairly large commercial projects. That's our workflow, so. And Mary, you worked on a very significant project for five years. Tell us about that. Oh, yes. I was assigned to the design team for the new Indianapolis airport, which opened in 2008. So it was a completely brand new airport, out of the ground, really everything, parking garages, terminal, and it continues to win awards. It's a small airport, but I'm very, very proud of that particular project. And what was your role on the project? There were four senior project architects on that, so my role was really pretty much anything from the walls in. I was part of the art steering committee, worked with the commissioned artists on their installations, worked on all the finishes that you would see, all the build out behind the scenes, all the furniture, helped coordinate the signage. So airport has an awful lot of parts in it, some of which most of the passengers don't even know about. Like we have a chapel, we have a police station, maybe people would know about the USO offices, but there's just a lot in the airport. So listeners, you should Google the Indianapolis airport and look at all of the artwork and the furniture and the design, and you can then say, I know who designed that. There are many, many people that made that happen, but I did have a pretty good hand in it. Well, that's amazing. Mary, you shared with me that you've been a single mom since 1983. That sounds like it might have been a difficult situation for you, but you had your education to fall back on, right? Yes. I went through some pretty trying times uh, raising my kids and sort of picking up the pieces from that. And if I had not had an education, I can't even begin to imagine how I would have done it. So I've always been grateful for my career as an architect, but without it, I would never have been able to work on so many amazing and interesting things, and I would not have earned the living to help my children. So I do everything I can to help others. And tell us a little bit about your education. Where did you go to school and get your degrees? Uh, I graduated from University of Notre Dame in 1978. 
I was one of the very first women to start there as a freshman and graduate, and obviously one of the very few women architects at that time. I'm very proud of having gone to Notre Dame. I studied in Rome. I've had a chance to live in other foreign countries over the years. It's not the easiest career, but I've really loved it all the time that I've been working. Well, I want to share with you, I graduated from high school a, a few years before you, and when we were seniors, we took an aptitude test, and my number one recommended career was to be an architect. Well, honestly, it would have been a fantastic fit for me, but at the time, the career options for women were teacher, secretary, nurse, or, you know, get married and start having kids. So I initially thought, well, I'm going to be a school teacher because of the three, that one appealed to me the most. And I ended up doing something totally different, but I always look at buildings and go, oh, I wonder if I could have been a part of that. So I'm very excited to talk with you and to hear about the trailblazing work that you've done as a woman in architecture fairly early on. I mean, you must not have had many women peers. Is that true? I'm not even sure there was ever a woman older than than I was at any time in any office that I worked with. Mm-hmm. Now there are a lot of young women in the profession, but in my age group, it was pretty slim. There yeah. very, very few women. See, I could have been one of those older women, but I wasn't brave enough to try it. So I admire you for doing that. Well, I chose to be an architect. I used to just love sewing, creating patterns, making stuff. And I didn't really see that as a way to have a career. So I thought, well, if I can visualize things to make clothing that fits on a round body from flat fabric and so on, I can do architecture. (laughs) (laughs) Naive, I saw it. How simple I saw it. It's like, well, I have that ability. So I also want to talk about your youth a little bit because that somehow transitions into how you developed your love of sewing. And what was it like for you growing up as a child? I'm the oldest of nine. So there are nine siblings and 11 years with one set of twins. So as the oldest, you know, you're kind of the second mom and involved a lot. And I just love sewing. I used to sneak into my mother's sewing room, get in big trouble for messing with her sewing machine. Finally, when I was like six or seven, she just gave up. And by the time I was eight, I was sewing my own clothes. And she was pretty busy. So I was pretty unattended, kind of self-taught until 4-H. And I took a lot of sewing lessons at the Singer Sewing Store. And really, I think that those that sewing experience was very, very helpful because I had to be a self-starter. There wasn't a lot of supervising of what I was doing. And so I had to read the patterns. And if it didn't work out, I couldn't give up. I'd have to really work through it. But I always loved it and still do and still sew a lot. You mentioned earlier that you have children. I have two daughters that are grown. So the older daughter is a plastic surgeon. She works in Seattle, Washington now Mm -hmm. at university. She's faculty and attending physician. And then the other daughter is married and lives here in Indianapolis. And she works as a commercial furniture sales rep. So more of in the design business, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot more similar to what I do. Mm -hmm. Just look for Herman Miller if anyone's listening and knows Herman Miller. Yeah, Herman Miller is very nice office furniture. 
Well, yeah. your daughter in Seattle, we ought to hook her into So Powerful some way since that's their headquarters too. Anyway, and rounding out your family is your pet. Who are we talking about here? Oh, I have a sweet black cat named Velvet. I used to have two cats, another one named Coco. So early on, I would post pictures of Coco who would sit on the fabric and the purses and, you know, really hardly would let me sew. Coco's not with me anymore, but Velvet's still hanging in there. <laughs> and how old is Velvet? Velvet is 17. So oh, my. She's... You know, she's a senior girl. Yep, getting up there. I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. You told me that your passion is education and mentoring. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I believe that so much came to me as a part of being able to go to school. I was very fortunate to go to a place like Notre Dame, and I think we owe always to give back. And so all of the years I've participated, I was part of Indian Architecture Foundation, which gives scholarships to our talented architects in the state of Indiana and helped with fundraising. I was president of that group for about seven years. I worked with the Blackburn Scholarship Foundation, and while I was part of that group, I would always make doll clothes. And doll clothes, everyone loves doll clothes. If you make a beautiful set of doll clothes, it's always a great auction item, which is how I ended up finding So Powerful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you came in through the Pixie Fair door. I was looking for shoes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, to make the shoes because you know you have to have the shoes to go with the outfits. Obviously, um, and did you find shoes? They have lots of lovely, lovely patterns, uh, including shoes. Yeah. So you found the shoes, but you also found so powerful. What was your first impression when you came across so powerful? Well, I read their story many, many times, kind of studied it. I didn't just jump into making the purses based on, you know, kind of a, I mean, it sounds good, but I really wanted to be putting my time towards a group. And what I liked about So Powerful, and I think what is outstanding, is they're really behind the people who are on the trenches doing the job. We're not coming in and telling them how to do it or what to do. It's really much more of a grounds roots support. So ultimately that's sustainable too as the local people become more and more skilled it it stays there and they're the ones who are making it a success and i I think that's really important i also feel that financial accountability is critical with a charity uh, an organization and so powerful really gives virtually everything that they take in as a donation back to the group. It does not have a big overhead expense attached to it. So when you contribute, it's going to the people that it's intended to go to. I think that's super important. Absolutely. It's an all-volunteer organization, and uh, Jason Miles, one of the co-founders, has committed that it always will be. There won't be a, a paid staff. And fortunately, we're able to tap into lots of expertise from actually all over the world to help run the organization. So that's great. Really outstanding. Yeah. And you know, your emphasis on education, the work that So Powerful does that enables girls to be educated, I can imagine that that was a really good fit for you. 
Yes. I mean, I've donated time to varying universities, to jury studios, to mentor thesis students, to help high school students, to do career days, like as many things as I can find that would be inspiring for anyone else who's trying to come along. When I think about the sewing guild and the ladies that are getting a chance, maybe for the first time in their life, to earn a decent living, to feel proud of what they do, no one can take away your education. And so everything that's happening there in Zambia is just so important for that community. And and the way it, way it works is someone taught me, then I teach many people, then those, it's, it's kind of a chain. And I think that's just really an important part of So Powerful and the group that's there in Zambia. Yeah, absolutely. Mary, why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we're going to talk about your design aesthetic and how that relates to the purses that you make and a little bit more about your involvement here. So listeners, stay tuned. We'll be back with Mary in just a moment. Have you gotten the second edition of the We Are So Powerful book? This updated version of the original bestseller, 4.9 out of five stars, by the way, is again authored by So Powerful co-founders Jason and Cinnamon Miles. It is available on Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle reader. This latest edition is packed full of moving stories about how So Powerful came to be, the volunteers who make it happen, and the way this small movement has grown into a global mission to break the cycle of poverty through education and the dignity of work. And don't forget, when you place your order, if you use smile.amazon.com and designate So Powerful as your preferred charity, Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase right back to So Powerful. And now back to our podcast. Welcome back. We've been speaking with Mary Ann Chauste and learning all about her fascinating career as an architect, as a trailblazing architect, actually. And be sure and uh, Google Indianapolis Airport to see some of the work that Mary has done. In your notes that I read, you talk about the fabrics that you use to make purses, which are atypical from what probably 99% of the rest of us are using. What fabrics do you use to make purses? Tell us about that. Well, predominantly my sewing is either clothing that I would wear for work. So I didn't have a lot of quilting cottons or I would have more craft fabrics or commercial upholstery fabrics that were discontinued samples or that were left over from something like making pillows. So when it first started, I didn't really see as much of what I had in inventory in the purses that were posted on Facebook, but I just started working with my own skills in graphics and color, putting things together in a way that was parallel with what we do here as a designer. I'm not a quilter. I do, we would call them coverlets. For yeah. <laughs> Occasionally I make things out of squares and they turn out really lovely, but it's, I don't think that anyone who's really a quilter would see that as the same way. So I don't have those kinds of fabrics. And I took inspiration from Shirley Oots early on because she's just lovely at posting things and it would have embroidered 
stitching and I'm like, oh, I have a gazillion spools of thread in all kinds of colors. So I'll fire up and put decorative stitches on it or I'll add ribbon or I have a lot of braided trim that somehow I collected. And so I try to combine that. One of my signatures, which maybe people have seen from Facebook posts is I save all the selvages which have writing or numbers or interesting things on it and incorporate some of that to make the back or use it as trim combined with ribbon or decorative stitches because uh, you know I don't have an embroidery machine and so I just kind of use the things that are available to me in a creative way. I'm not I, I love the use of your selvage and I mean, up until the time you were doing it, I was like cutting it off and throwing it away. But instead, you've made that part of the design element of the purse. I mean, it's just lovely. Yeah, well, it would have been in the wastebasket, so might as well <laughs> put it on there and make it interesting. I also always try to make every purse a one-of-a-kind creation. And that's just me special, maybe being part of such a large family where you don't feel special always. You feel like one of a clan. And so I don't ever make exactly the same purse the same way. So they'll always have a unique thing. And I try to hide little bits of surprises inside of it, which I know other people do too. Maybe it's the peekaboo lining or it's something about it that when the girl study their purses and look at it and, you know, have it at home examining it so I want it to be really really nice and really pretty when they get their purse. It sounds like you're able to use empathy to imagine yourself in their shoes because of the way you grew up in such a large family because many of these girls are in family with eight or nine siblings as well. Well and maybe they lost their parents or they're right. you know, raising their own siblings and I think just giving them something that's really special it, it serves the purpose of helping them be in school, but it also serves a little different purpose in terms of that mentorship also and that sense that someone made this and it's yours and it's unique. One of the tips that you have is that you iron and press every step of the way. Talk oh, about yeah. why that's important. Oh, yeah. Well... You know, I was trained very strict by the sewing teachers I had in 4-H, and I'm kind of perfectionist in what I do anyway as a job, and so I'm not the fastest purse maker. I do select the fabrics really nicely. I use the interfacing as recommended, and uh, I'm pressing every seam, and, you know, I was taught to... I don't know what you even call it, but, you know, you press your seams after you've stitched them to set the stitches and so on. So mine take, take a little longer than some. And, you know, the, if the top stitching isn't right, it comes out and I fix it. I just think that's part of the pride. When I send one in, I want it to be really nice. It's not just about how many you make. It's the quality of them and they need to last and be a treasure for whoever receives them. And do you make more of the beginner purse or the intermediate purse? Which do you prefer? Well, I started out on the intermediate purse and made an awful, awful lot of those. And in some way, they're kind of fun because you can combine more fabrics and you can have the lining inside is different and you can really make them quite fun. But they take time. And then I moved on to the newer purse design which does lend itself a little bit better to some of the discontinued samples that I've been given where you have a big piece with maybe graphics on it. So mm -hmm. I do, I still do both. 
and I do like the more simple pattern because I gain a little progress in time. I can make that one more quickly. Okay, I have to ask everyone this same question. Do you prefer to make the strap or to use webbing? I do both. I have a little bin of straps in different <laughs> colors that I can fish into. Uh, but here in Indianapolis, maybe because I don't always hit Joann's on the right day, I don't always get all the colors that I'm looking for. So I also make the straps. Okay. I do it the method that's on Facebook where you cut a four inch wide strip and then fold it to the middle and interface them and top stitch them. Mm -hmm. So I don't try to turn them inside out. I just can't quite get that to work as well. I think most people who make the straps have moved on to that fold-in method. Well, and I'll just give Homeso a little plug here. If you are on team webbing, as I am, you can buy your webbing from Homeso and use the code SP10 for a 10% discount. And they have quite a nice selection of colors. Yeah, yeah, you should. And once you sign up, they'll mail you their catalog and it's got all kinds of things in there that you didn't even realize you needed. So <laughs> it, it's a fun little catalog to get. You have a go-to saying. Can you share with us what that is? Oh, yes. This is kind of what I tell myself, but I send it out to the universe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. So no matter what happened yesterday, no matter where you are, no matter what it is, every day you should get up and make that the best day that you can. And you always have the option of putting energy towards the future. We really only own today. We can't change the past and the future is undetermined. But today, if you do the best every day and make the most of it, I think that's a really key way to be successful. Another statement that you made is that you believe there is never a place too low that one can't begin again to have hope and faith. I do believe that. I don't know what else more to say about that, but there's never a moment too low not to have hope. Well, and I think that for someone who embraces that and has the empathy that you do, I would think that relates very well to the situation in Zambia. And we can hope and pray that the girls there can adopt that same philosophy. Well, I hope what we're doing helps give them that hope and helps give them the courage to make one more good day, you know, if, if that's if it's one day at a time. Absolutely. Well, Mary, I want to thank you so much for your time. It's been it's so interesting to talk to you and hear about your career and your point of view on making these purses, which I can appreciate your architectural background going into making these very beautiful purses that you do make. And your, your go-to saying today is the first day of the rest of your life is very meaningful. So thank you for your time. Thank you very much. It was an honor to be part of it. Thank you. If what you've heard today inspires you to want to make a difference, I urge you to explore the So Powerful website at www.sopowerful.org. That's S-E-W-P-O-W-E-R-F-U-L dot O-R-G. 
The website has great information about the organization. It's where you can download the free purse patterns or even make a donation. We hope you will join us again next week when we bring you another so powerful story. Thanks for listening. Now go out and have a so powerful day.